put them in the bulletins up here, but I didn't get in or get y'all. Who else was down there? Uh, Gerald and Darlene. Uh, Gerald, Darlene, uh, Wes, and uh, Claire, mm -hmm. and uh, Janice. I need two more.
Played well. Turn, if you will, in to James chapter 1. It's our first reference today. Thank you for inviting me to be back with you today, as someone has mentioned, a little skimpy crowd, but every one of you are precious. Glad that you're here, and I trust that we will share God's Word well together. If, uh, As you notice, I, I put in your bulletins, or most of the bulletins, a outline of my message some of you may come, have come early to Sunday school and did not get that insert. If you're interested, there may, you look, as you leave, look in the bulletins that are left over, and you might find that if you want to take it home with you. Choosing a new pastor is one of the biggest decisions a church has to make. A pastor, because of his position and influence, will often determine often determine the uh, direction and success of a church for years to come. Churches over the years, look around, can either wither or prosper, depending on the pastor the, that they have. As I've noticed that in some places, it seems that churches sometimes make the mistake of calling someone to be a pastor just because they happen to be available. But they don't really take the time to check them out. And I want to help you think about how to check out candidates for pastor today, as you can see from the outline that you have before you. The Southern Baptists have a, I think, a rather, uh, a, the, 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 the system the candidate of candidates that we, that we use, I wish it were different and better. If you were dating somebody and married them, <laughs> on just, just the few exposures that you get from the pastoral search committee, you might uh, be very more careful to want to date the church a little longer, just like you did the young man or young woman whom you married. But we can't change that, right, I guess. When I first, when I reviewed this passage this morning, I thought this next paragraph that I want to share with you, which is on your page, is really the most important things I could say today to you. And it's this, when beginning a pastor search committee, uh, when beginning a pastoral search and have candidates before us, or, or in our hands at least on paper, first we need to learn all we can about the candidate. Sometimes that's a little difficult. We may wish there were better ways to do it. And then, secondly, we need to rely heavily upon divine guidance through the Holy Spirit because only God knows what's in a person's heart. Only God really knows what's in a person's heart, the candidate's heart. As much as we would like to say, you know, flip a switch and turn on, uh, open the door and, and read what's in his heart, we can't do that. But the Holy Spirit is the one who already has the key to our hearts. 
And he knows what's in our heart. He knows the background and the, 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 the good, the bad, and whatever it is about any particular person we might be considering. And so the third thing is, if he knows, we need to know. And how do we discern that? Through prayer. Through praying together. It, it's not enough to have committees. It's not enough to have a committee that prays at the beginning and end of the meeting, but we need to be, or you as a church, need to be in prayer constantly through the whole process. Reminding, and, and, and as you do so, you're reminding yourselves that we don't know it all. We really don't have that, you know, knowledge. I remember when I left the pastor for a year and didn't have a church, uh, I, I got real, real anxious and <laughs> I messed up and, because I was doing it in my own wisdom, in my own will, and, and I got panicky. And I took a job that I didn't know how to do it. I took another job, and that didn't work out either. Finally, I was, I was called back into the ministry as an interim and later as a full-time pastor. But because I didn't really seek the Lord like I should have at that point in my life, I floundered for a while. I don't want you to flounder either. So three things I put at the top of your page. First, learn all you can about a candidate. Secondly, Rely heavily upon the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, show that by asking Him to guide you through the whole process. Now, the rest of the things on your sheet here are the steps that a person can take in learning to know all you can about a candidate. So I just share them with you for what they're worth, and I trust that they will be good. Let me start, though, by reading James 1, 5, and 6. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally, without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. We, you, you need wisdom in this whole process. And who has it? God has it. So, verse five, if you, if you lack wisdom, ask God. That's the wisdom for today. But let me go on with the rest of the sheet and the rest of the outline and give you some pointers that will help you. First of all, with any particular candidate, you want to know their basic beliefs. A baby. A baby has no basic beliefs. They're all learned. They learn it through the family they grow up in, in the schools they go to, in their play and recreation, in uh, the neighborhood, and in their church or in the organizations that they're in, sports teams and all that stuff. All of our experiences are what go together to build up our basic beliefs. And they're altered sometimes or strengthened if you go further in education, like in college or whatever. Sometimes the influence of those around us may alter or change our beliefs or they may reinforce them. And we know how hard it is for young people, teenagers in high school, they, they, they're in the home setting and they're kind of boxed in with the beliefs that their family, their Christian family is supposed to have, but when they get out into maybe the work world or the college team, uh, uh, scene or wherever they go, they may find others who become important to them, their peers you might call them, and, and they, th th what the peers, if they, if they believe different things, those high schoolers may forsake, at least for a while or maybe for a long while, what they grew up with. Hopefully they'll come back to it. That happened in my house as well. 
Every level of education builds upon the last. Uh, upon the last, the choice of schools matter. The public school, private school, Christian school, college, a seminary, all are, in, are formative for good or for bad in a person's life. And then, of course, we know that people with a certain set of beliefs tend to congregate with others of the same beliefs. You know, you Baptists want a Baptist pastor, right? <laughs> Thus, they are reinforced. Um, we need to know their basic beliefs. Let me go to number two here. Even more than, and, and well, I don't know, it's more important, but this is very, very important. We, if we possibly can, search out a candidate's personal, spiritual, and devotional life. What is their life story in their relationship to God? Christianity is more than a religion, it's a relationship. Our God is a person, and we are related to him in our spirits. As we remember the Garden of Eden, Satan wanted to, to gain the loyalties of uh, Eve and Adam, and uh, he messed things up. There's a world of evil out there that wants to get our attention and wants us to follow them. But uh, those who want to follow God, that's what is determinative in their lives. We all have inherited a sinful and rebellious nature that turns away from God and follows our own will and values. But when we come to him in, in, in faith and and confidence and conversion and salvation, then we have a different source of worldview. We become like Christ. And we listen to his word. In Sunday school class, we were reading in John chapter 4 and chapter 8. You know, if you, if you stay in my word, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free, we read this morning. Jehovah God wants us to know him in an intimate, loving, obedient Trusting, loyal way. He broke down the wall of separation between us caused by the sin that was within us. And when he came into our lives to save us, he also gave us our Holy, the, his Holy Spirit to be our comfort guide and, and friend and interpreter of the scriptures. How do we experience and express this intimate relationship with God? Well, first of all, by a personal walk with him. A walk implies a continuous process going to walk to the grocery store. Maybe a long way to walk if you did, but, but you are going along the way. And to say, and to, in, the, um, in the Bible, people didn't drive cars. They didn't have parking lots. They just walked. And so the phrase has a meaning there that is, to them was great and, and personal. We have a personal walk with him as we walk with him in our daily conversations with him. And as we study his word, the Bible, Search it, memorize it, live it, as we worship and praise together, even by ourselves. So a pastoral candidate should be experienced, to some degree at least, in uh, this intimate walk with God. How do you discover that? I'm not quite sure, but you can ask the Lord to help you figure that one out. His devotional and prayer life should be where he gets his life from, his life values, his direction and strength and love and devotion and loyalty. And of course, he's going to pass that on to the members of the church. It just happens, whether it's strong or weak or whatever it may be. Remember, Paul wrote to Timothy, the young man that became his convert, and then his son in the faith, and then his uh, mentee, as, as Paul was the mentor. These are new words. They didn't use them back then. He, Paul was a mentor to Timothy, worked with him on, on a long missionary journeys, and, and, and eventually Timothy became a pastor. And he was a young man having struggles, you know, learning his ropes. And Paul wrote two letters that we have helping him to get grounded 
in the work of, uh, of the pastoral ministry. It was through that kind of help that he grew, Timothy did. And so it is with us. We need the help of the Lord to help us to grow. Uh, turn, if you will, to Acts chapter 4, verses 13, 11 to 13. And this, I love this, this, what we're going to read right now. Acts 11, chapter 4, verses 11 to 15. Here was right after the day of Pentecost. The miracles were done. 5,000 people were saved. And, and um, as they were, as Peter and the others, the disciples were going to the temple one day. They met a man and they healed him. He was been, what, crippled and he healed him. And it caused the crowd to gather, and, and he preached a sermon. And uh, then the, the religious leaders didn't like that. They didn't like what he had to say, so they, they put him in jail overnight. The next day they said, all right, now you come out here and explain yourselves. We don't like what you had to say. All this is in chapter 4. And uh, verse 7, by what power and by what name have you done all this? And so Peter launched into a sermon. We have just the synopsis of it here. Verse 12, he says, there, nor is there salvation in any other name than Jesus. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That must have been a powerful sermon to the leaders who were trying to shut him up. I like the next verse though. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were, now look at that, uneducated and untrained men, compared to themselves, they marveled. They marveled. And they realized, put quotes around this, they realized that they had been with Jesus. They had been with him for three years. All day, every day, all night, they went everywhere. And they, they took on the characteristics and the personality and the beliefs of Jesus because they were with him. I believe that the monks, have, the, the Catholics have the monk system in which people go into a monastery and they, they're all the time. That's where they live and that's where they work and they learn, learn, learn and, and do, do, do. And, and so Peter, Peter uh, and, and John had been with Jesus. When people look at us, do they realize that we have been with Jesus because of our close communion and fellowship with our Lord Jesus Christ? That's what you want in a pastor, isn't it? Someone like that. And it will shine through. Have you ever had people come up and say to you, you know, just, I've met, never met them before, and they say, are you a Christian? <laughs> Why? Why do you ask that? Well, I can tell. Yeah. I've had people ask me in my dungarees and, and sweatshirt, and, are you a pastor? <laughs> How do you know that? Well, I can tell there's something about you. And that's what we hopefully will find in our search for a pastor at any church, at any time, that, they will, that we'll be able to see that there, here's a candidate who has a spiritual walk with the Lord, and it's obvious. Third thing we can think of is, is one who's a biblical preacher. God gives to churches people with spiritual gifts to build up the church. And well, I'll just read a couple of them, Ephesians 4. 11 to 15, if I may turn over there. and uh, This is where Paul writes about the spiritual gifts that God gives to the people in the churches for the work of the church. Ephesians 4, verse 11 is where I'm going to begin. Some of it's here on the, on the um, screen, I see. 
here it is, verse 11, chapter, Ephesians 4, 11. And he, God himself, gave some, that is some people, to be apostles, <clears throat> prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. Now that pastors and teachers refers to pastoral leadership. <clears throat> Whether you call them elders or pastors or whatever you call them. What is their duties? Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints. And what is their duty? For the work of the ministry. <laughs> the pastors equip the saints so they can help and go about doing the work of the ministry and, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. Until we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Biblical preaching accomplishes that. That's the, the goal of biblical preaching <clears throat> is to help us to become all that God wants us to be. And to help us to learn, not only on Sunday mornings in the pews, but, but as we go about our daily work and committees and, and whatever else we have time together, that we learn to be the persons that God wants us to be and to discover and to exercise the spiritual gifts that he gives to us. And then allow them to use those spiritual gifts in the church. That's what preachers can do, have a part in it. Sermons should pro focus primarily on interpreting, explaining, and applying the Holy Scriptures to our lives. I remember the, um, when Paul, Paul had been imprisoned in Acts chapter 2, let me read a, read a verse for a couple of years, Acts ch chapter 26, I mean, he had been in prison for a good long while, a couple of years, and, and uh, uh, he called before the governor, Acts 25, no, 26, 17. Speak up, Paul, what do you have to say for yourself? And here's what he said, Acts uh, 26, 17. I, he said, God appeared to me and said to me in verse 17, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom now I send you. So Jews didn't think you ought to go and have anything to do with the Gentiles. And, but he was being sent to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. Verse 18, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's what God said to Paul. That's your mission. And I think this is a good summary of what the work of the pastor is and the work of the church is overall, that we are involved in turning people from darkness to light. That's a powerful job. We don't just comfort them with uh, you know, beautiful productions in the worship service or beautiful music or beautiful buildings, but we are, we're dealing with the innermost parts of people's souls, and that's what we ought to be working on. Some pastors I've heard stray from biblical preaching and rely on human reasoning, current events in their topics of choice, political wisdom, or personal subjects, pet subjects to build their sermons. And a steady diet of that would leave the people starved for true wisdom and knowledge from God. Check out how he preaches. Fourth thing we come to is caring for people and a servant leader. Leader. Let me turn to 1 Peter 5, 1 and 2 at this point. 1 Peter 5, 1 and 2. Here's uh, the writer writing to the uh, church and, and saying, this, you elders among the leaders, that the elders were the pastoral staff. He says in 5, one, verse 1, the elders among you I exhort, I urge, 
I who am, a, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Here's the charge to the elders, the leadership of the church. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to them, to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Pastors ought to be shepherds. Preachers, yes. Shepherds also. Shepherds care for people. Shepherds spend time with people. Shepherds learn the trust of people because of who they are and what they do and how they go about it. That involves spending time with folks in their homes. You may be at work sometimes and checking in on them at meals, at ball games, or sports events, or whatever it may be. Uh, maybe I know a fellow who's, who's a um, chaplain at a racetrack down in Hampton, Virginia. That's what he does every Saturday night during the racing season. He's, he's there ministering in that, and for that service. Uh, people can, can minister. Of course, that's not in the community. I don't, that's just something he does on the side. But wherever people, our people are, we can be with them. I've heard of pastors who think of themselves as CEO. One little church down where I live in my county had a pastor one time, and I saw his business card and said, uh, Senior pastor. I thought, you're the only one. <laughs> Why do you say senior? You know? <laughs> and I've heard of other pastors who say, I don't visit members. If they want me to come, I'll go see them. Now, that may be a sign of the times, but I was one of those who grew up uh, you know, spending time with people. You know, hey, can I come and see you Saturday, Wednesday, whatever, and, and just spend time with them. That is what can build the fellowship and build the church. But also a pastor has administrative duties as well. He may, he, he may guide the deacons. He may train people in certain tasks. He meets with the church council for planning, coordination, and evaluation. But not to be lorded over, but be willing to delegate things to other people. Over in our county, in Rockbridge County, there's a white's truck stop owned by a man who sold it and then recently died, uh, Bobby Burkstresser. It's like a mini mall there. Hundreds of trucks stop there all the time. He claims to be the biggest on the East Coast. I met him one time when I went through the little mall there and I spoke to him and I said, it must take a lot of people to run this place. And it did. He, he leased out a lot of places for doctor's offices and so forth. And he says, I solicit the best and I pay them the best. That's how I can do it. I get the best and I pay them well. And apparently it worked because this business thrived. People flocked there all the time. They had a big truck show there this weekend. And uh, he was a man who cared about people. There's another man I think of who operated a racetrack over that way. And, and uh, he didn't care about people. All he wanted was the gate receipts. The place kind of fell down around their ears because he went home with the money and didn't invest in himself and the people. And we're in the, in the facility. Pastors need to invest themselves in the lives of the people. And so he gives us uh, that task. My wife, Ruth Ann, grew up in Waynesboro, the Evangelical United Brethren Church. And uh, she had a pastor 
He wasn't a great preacher, <laughs> but he loved people. He loved youth. And he, he worked with the youth. They uh, didn't have a big church, it was, but they worked together. And uh, she learned a lot as a youth growing up in their church from the pastor and his wife because of how they invested themselves in the youth of that church. And uh, she's never stopped praising them because of what he did. Paul wrote to Timothy, he says, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 2, 1, he says, you need to train people who will train others, who will train others. That doesn't, see, there's some pastors who will hold on, I want, this is my job. Don't, don't bother me, this is my job. Take it, don't, don't criticize me, this is my job, you know. But this is, rather the opposite of that is, I'm a part of a team. And we're in this together, and everybody's needed, and I will help you reach that Number five, a vision for ministry. Pastors also need to be able to look at the big picture in their church and community and, and the world. Building on the successes of the past and, and meeting the opportunities of the present and planning for the future. You can't live in the past and moan, moan and moan about the empty rooms in this building. Now, this is, that's useless, isn't it? You just start with where you are and continue on in the steps that God has called you to. It is God who calls forth leaders and gives them burdens for many times for ministry and for vision for service. A pastor can lift their eyes of the people to see the fields ready for harvest or the needs of the broken and downtrodden or the potential of new people coming in to work alongside of you, wherever they might come from. They can, put this in quotes, they can guide old timers to release their grip on traditions to see possibilities for new things. I see that in the music program already. And to overcome their fear of change. That, that's always a problem in an older church, an older congregation. We're, we're stuck in a rut sometimes, aren't we? You, I'm that way, you know, I'm past, past the white-haired stage myself. But the pastor can help broaden our vision and um, do that. He can help motivate us to support our mission boards, mission agencies, to support the local rescue mission or food pantry or whatever it is, all kinds of ministries that people like to support uh, Samaritan's Purse. Sometimes pastors also can do a service to the church by encouraging involvement in short-term mission trips. A Saturday, the churches I went, we went to uh, Culpeper one day and painted a home for the uh, abused women in the, in the inside. Another time, another church, we went to Harrisonburg and painted inside the Baptist Student Union building, and they were going to do some things to the kitchen, and the floor was rotted, so they had to wind up replacing the floor in the kitchen. And uh, others, I, I was on a volunteer counselor over here at Webster Springs, West Virginia, for the West Virginia camp one summer, and four, two couples went over for that. And I've been on mission trips to Mexico and Panama and Katrina and all that stuff. Pastors can help people get out of their community and, and just broaden their scope of ministry that way. Okay, I must hasten. The commitment to partnerships. The entire history of the church is, has involved partnerships. We partner with other local churches in, and religious organizations in serving our community in various ways. In the pioneer days, several denominations would build a union chapel, a building, just a plain building, no, no additions to it, a union chapel, and the several denominations would share using it. 
And as they grew, one might buy out the others and the others would go build their own. And that Union Chapel might even be used as a school in those pioneer days. That was cooperation. That was a commitment to partnerships in those days. And when they shared those things, they weren't jealous of one another. They just did it. They shared their ministries that they had. Of course, in our nation, many parachurch organizations have come along like Gideons and rescue missions and homeless shelters and um, rescue missions for uh, uh, refugees and so forth. And a pastor can help see men in our minds the need and necessity and the joy of working in partnership with others. This partnership also involves our partnership with other Baptists. Uh, all the Baptists have been in partnership with one another for a whole time. Back in 1793, I think it was, the first Baptist Association was formed in Virginia. And they met. They, everything from the Potomac to the James River was in that one association. And I've got a, a history of that book. And so they met and they had preaching and fellowship. And, and, and uh, the, the church might say, we, we've got a problem. We don't know what to do about so-and-so. They brought it to the association. They said, oh, whoa, here's what you do. And they learned from one another. And, uh, of course, it developed into um, the local association, Natural Bridge, statewide associations, and, and then, of course, the Southern Baptist Convention. That SBC was formed to sponsor missionaries and uh, publish literature and have seminaries for that purposes. So it's, when seeking a pastor, it's vital to ask about their understanding of and preferences for and loyalties to whatever connections they've had so far and whatever connections you have so far that you have a good experience of working your partnerships together. The last thing, education and experience, and I, I did put this down the list a little bit as far as importance is, because uh, college and seminary training is a very helpful and can give a minister a head start. A new minister finds, needs to find older ones to mentor him and guide him through many new responsibilities. Of course, God can use a man without seminary or college training, but he will be limited to somewhat in his abilities and may wish that he had some. Let me review now what I started off with. To find success in seeking a pastor, know all you can about him, learn all you can, just, just whatever it takes, learn as much as you can. I'm not calling for a revolution here, but just use your common sense and divine wisdom. Secondly, remember that the Holy Spirit knows the heart of everybody. He knows our hearts. Maybe our hearts need to be cleansed. Maybe we need to uh, get over some things that we have divided us within the local church or some pet peeves that we've had. Maybe that's something that's got to be worked out before we even get to the point of calling somebody for consideration. But trust the Holy Spirit to guide us because he's the one with the knowledge of everybody's heart. And the way to find that out is pray together. Be here for prayer meeting. Uh, he doesn't need 45 minutes for Bible study. If you spend 25 minutes in prayer, he won't get 45 minutes in Bible study. But how much of a blessing it will be if you were to spend 25 minutes in prayer for, you know, Ukraine and your church and, and the locals and whatever it is, spend some serious time in prayer that God may give us the guidance that we need. Let's close in prayer now. Father, thank you that you are the guide to all of us through your Holy Spirit that you love us and, and you minister to us and you teach us. Thank you that you use even the least of us. We may not think we're good for anything in the Lord's work, but you, you know, Lord, 
what ministries you have in mind for us to do. Help us to discover whatever ministries yet undiscovered and developed in our own lives or in our own church and your own community. Especially though we pray for divine wisdom for this church and this committee as they begin the process of seeking your purpose for the days to come. And Lord, may we be willing to follow even when change is required that we are unaccustomed to making. In Jesus' name, amen.